The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. If you'd like to find out more about us and how we strive to be a gospel-centered, city-focused church community, visit us at missiodei.org. So my wife and I have worked for a parachurch ministry organization called Crew. Uh, for about 10 years, we worked with college students here at UC and NKU. The last five years, we've taken a different role where we do a lot of partnership uh, type-based ministries, very kingdom-minded. And so we have been on the receiving end of generosity for a number of years. And so this woman, Dorothy, she had been praying for our ministry and giving occasionally for a number of years. So Dorothy was in an assisted living, a nursing home, and she took the time to write us a letter, handwritten letter. Do you guys still do that anymore? Yeah, you should. But uh, she wrote us a handwritten, and it's in chicken scratch, because she's, she's old and she's, she shakes when she writes, but she, with intentionality, wrote us this letter. And in the letter it said, I've enjoyed praying for you and your ministry over the years. I know I don't have much to give, but this month I had some extra money, and I want you to have this. And it was $5, a $5 bill in this letter. And it doesn't sound like much, but the, I know this woman was on a limited income, and that she gave faithfully where, where she was going to church at that time. But that month she had truly and, and some extra money that she decided not to spend on herself, but to think through where should this go? and she chose to give to our ministry. And for years upon years, that letter, I've kept it, has been an encouragement to me to not only be reminded of the generosity that I've received, but also to be a generous giver as well. So I hope that story brings encouragement to you this morning before we read this text in Luke 18, which I invite you to follow along with me, opening up your own Bible, your app. Uh, you can follow us along on the screen. If you haven't yet downloaded the Missio Day app, I encourage you to do that. And in there, you can click on sermons and then notes. But make sure you go to the, the central campus to follow along. And so in that, you click the notes and there's some follow along fill-in that you can do along the way as well and also take additional notes. So I'm gonna read this text. You can follow along. Luke 18, verse 18. And a rich ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, looking at him with sadness, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it, then who can be saved? But Jesus said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom 
who will not receive many things in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, we pray this morning that you would be with us, that you would prod our, our hearts, that you, as we examine this scripture, that you would speak to us. So, as we continue this text, it's probably becoming, you know, somewhat maybe familiar to us, right? This is the third week. We've read through the same text. This is the third time. But this morning, we're going to work through generosity as it comes out in this text. And so, as the conversation begins, the rich ruler asks Jesus this question, what must I do? So, already there's this assumption that he has. Like whatever the answer is, I'm gonna be able to do it because that's been how I've lived my whole life. I have an inheritance, I have riches. Name the price, Jesus. Name the price. I can fix this problem, he probably thought because that's how he's always lived, in this position to pay. So Jesus answers his question with the intentionality of aiming at the rich ruler's heart posture toward financial resources. And I would even say that the rich ruler probably felt pretty good, right, after his first reply. Here are the commandments, and he lists off those commandments and he stops, and the man, the rich ruler replies, I've kept all these commandments since my youth. But there was one that Jesus didn't mention, and that's the one of the do not covet. And so I think Jesus is extremely aware of this man's heart And so he says, yet, yet. Jesus in his grace exposes this obstacle that stands in the way of this man inheriting eternal life. Jesus wants the rich ruler to see the wealth that he thinks he has actually has a hold on him. So how might we respond if Jesus asked us to do this? What if Jesus asked us to to sell everything that we have and to come follow him? It's gonna be hard sometimes, right? When he asks us to give things up that we have put above him. I was reminded of comfort for one thing. For us, culturally speaking, comfort is something I think that we we often seek out and think should always be the norm. Uh, Five summers ago, I was asked to lead a project in South Asia, take some college students, hang out with uh, college students in South Asia, tell them about Jesus. At the time, I had a two-year-old daughter. My wife was pregnant in her second trimester, and we'd have to fly 8,000 miles away to a place that's hustling and bustling, full of sights and sounds and a lot of smells, and go over comfort. And it was a hard decision for us. We wrestled for a long time with it because comfort kept rearing its head. Like, but our summer, we could go to Virginia Beach to be with college students but you're asking us to go to South Asia? So we, asked you, we said yes, and we saw God do great, great things. So in verse 23, as, as this continues, the, the rich ruler walks away sad, even though Jesus answered his question. So the man comes wanting an answer, Jesus gives him the answer, but he walks away sad. He thought he could do this on his own, He can't. So he asks for these answers from Jesus, and then we're assuming here that he chooses not to act accordingly. 
to the answer to inherit eternal life by selling all that he has. He doesn't take on the responsibility that God demands. And in fact, it's his riches have blinded him so that he doesn't even answer Jesus, he just walks away in sadness. The next part is what has struck me over the last two days. I've read this passage multiple times throughout the course of the series and this month and studied it. And it wasn't until two days ago when I just realized, I've kind of read the text as this conversation's happening and these things kind of happen. He walks away and Jesus continues to talk to those who are listening. But Jesus, when he responds in verses 24 and 25, he's actually looking at the rich ruler as he's walking away. And so I'm just imagining this in my head, Jesus looking at me with sadness, looking at him. I can't imagine like the scene, the son of God looking at you as you walk away, saying, I'm right here, I'm right here. Do you want me or do you want your stuff? How hard it is for us, for, for mankind to choose Jesus over stuff. And Jesus is saying, I'm right here, I want you. Just get rid of your stuff. Here's the obstacle right in front of you, just get rid of it, you can have me forever. I have so much for you wait, waiting. So the reality of this rich ruler is too often a reality for us as well, right? Our resources, our possessions, our wealth can quickly become the lens in which we even see our own self-earned righteousness. So it's not just that the rich ruler can't give up his stuff, it's more than that. He's been led to believe a lie that we tend to believe as well that his riches have somehow earned him salvation. And he's blind to this, despite this grace of Jesus attempting to shine light on this sin, this obstacle in his life. So as Jesus responds by, by saying these things, the, the hearers, they ask, who can be saved? If this man who has all this wealth, all these riches, and culturally speaking, religiously speaking, a man who has riches and this kind of wealth would be seen by others as, this man has God's favor on him. Surely he's righteous. So it's, it's a shock to them that this man can't be saved and who can be? Because with wealth and righteousness were so intertwined. So the hearers would have been confused by kind of the, the physical reality of the situation. It's kind of like a, like a Stranger Things, if you have any fans in here, like the, ups, the, uh, the upside down. Like, there's the physical world happening, but then in the upside down, you step into it and you see that things are, are quite, quite different in the spiritual realm. So things are, are not great. But here's the hope in verse 27. I want us to hear this clearly. While it's impossible for man to be generous on his own, impossible to inherit eternal life on his own or own merit, it's possible with God. That is good news. Because Jesus could have responded and said, all you gotta do is sell your stuff, but I'm gonna let you figure that out on your own. Here's the obstacle, figure it out. But Jesus does not do that. Jesus exposes the obstacle and says, here's what you do, sell your stuff and come follow me. Like that is good news. So then the question is, well then what does God demand of us, right? We hear this, we're already freaking out a little bit, right? And he told this guy to sell all the stuff. I hope, I hope God doesn't ask me to do that. 
But it's God's grace that he does ask us to do that. And that's the summary this morning, is that God demands us to be generous. God demands us to be generous. So, are we generous? Rhetorical, are we generous? Here are a few realities, and I'll share these stats, and I'll tell you right at the front of this that I know stats are not perfect. These are from Pew Research, some 2015, some 2017. But what they indicate generally is, is, is sad. 27% of Christians give of their financial resources regularly. 25% of Christians never give. And lastly, 5% of Christians account for approximately 60% of all giving. And you can go and look at Pew Research and kind of Google some of those things and get, that, get those surveys, how many people they, they interviewed and, and tested for this to get the exacts. But those are, those are startling, right? But they're believable also. So we're startled by this because we know our sin posture, but we're also not surprised. So why and how do these startling realities become a part of our story? Well, this isn't exhaustive, but I think there are a couple of ways. I think some of us hold too tightly to our financial resources. We hold on tightly to financial resources because we believe we deserve them, we've earned them, and that they're ours to keep. The reality is our financial resources are a result or a consequence of where God has sovereignly placed us in a story. And we're responsible to be generous because we're made in God's image and we're meant to reflect a generous God. I remember when I was little, I was probably 10 or 11, and my mom's here this morning, I don't know if she remembers this or not, but uh, there was something I had seen in a store, it was like called like the limited edition gyrocopter 3000 or something like that. You know, it was one of those cool things you see as a kid, and I, I gotta have this. So I seen it, wanted it, I was like, I gotta go home and save money. So I saved money for maybe a, a month or two months or something like that, but the point is that, how, well, however I got the money, mowing grass, doing little chores, you know, penny by penny, like my, my, my fist is tight. Like no one's getting any money from me until I get this gyrocopter 3000. And so it could be the saddest, poorest story like, I'm not letting go of a quarter because I gotta get this thing. And so I hold on to, I finally get the money, go get this, this beauty of a toy, uh, come home from school. It's one of those uh, things that you, like, you pull and it goes, it shoots up straight in the air. And it's like, looking at it now, it's like, why is that so fascinating? I'm not sure. But I go back and I get the toy, uh, come home, like, so excited, goes up in the air. I'm like, yeah, this is all finally the culmination of, all my hard work, uh, and it's like a slow motion movie scene. It's, it's coming down, it's in midair, it lands on the ground, and simultaneously a bus is just coming through this, down the road. <laughs> it's just, the bus doesn't miss a beat, right? This is a little toy, and the bus driver, you know, who knows what's going on in there, he just drives right over it, and the bits and pieces it goes, crunch. And I'm just, I just stand there just like, that, that just happened. And there's, there's not a thing I can do about it, right? And it sounds ridiculous, but we operate that way. 
We hold on to our resources, our financial resources, often too tightly. Missionary, Jim Elliott, he uh, gave up a lot uh, to, to go to an indigenous person group in Ecuador to tell them about Jesus. They had never heard of this person, Jesus, and he felt called, they, they, they need to go hear about who he is. And he ends up giving his life in the process, and he writes this, he says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And that's what Jesus is telling this rich ruler. Give it up, man. I'm right here. I'm everything. Give up this stuff. But it's not easy for us to do. So some of you are probably like, man, I, this doesn't apply to me necessarily. I don't really hold tightly to money. I, I'm a spender. I'm the spender in my family. My wife is the saver. Uh, so that was interesting when we first got married, for sure. Uh, we're still working on all those kinks, but um, so some of us hold on loose, too loosely to money, too loosely to our financial resources. So some of us hold tight, some of us hold loose. So every time we kind of get bumped by something or a decision, we just spend. And I like to take the reins on this one because I was like the chief of stupid when it comes to money. Uh, before I met, really, I kinda my, had my eye on my, on my boo, like before, I was like, I gotta get my stuff in order if she's even gonna like consider me. So I, it was, I was late in the game, I'm 37 now, it wasn't until I was probably um, 27 or 28 when I got really serious about, I gotta pay this debt off, I gotta stop spending like a fool. And, but the reality is like, I really like believe the cultural lies that I had to have all the stuff all the time. I had to have the experiences all the time. Uh, I'll, I'll give a little bit here and there because it makes me feel good. But the reality is I did it all because I was selfish. I was entitled. And I, I believe the lie that all these things I have to experience so others will see that God has favor on me. So my righteousness was all wrapped up in that. It's easy to also be manipulated to give gifts because there are like a thousand different places to give, right? All the time. I can even think of, you know, you're up late at night. There's like all the, the infomercials and ads to give and you can probably like, even though I'm talking now, maybe you hear the song, the Sarah McLaughlin song in your, your head now, right? In the arms of... Like the crusty-eyed cats like looking directly at you because that's what they make it look like to like make you feel bad about not giving. First off, cats don't like, I won't get into that. Like, it doesn't feel sad, like, has that emotion and wants you to pay. That's not how it works. But anyways, so we're not supposed to be manipulated into giving gifts. We don't give because it makes us feel good. We give in obedience because Jesus demands it. So some of us hold too tightly. Some of us hold too loosely. Too loosely. We have got to move from this selfish, self-righteous, entitled heart that we walk in. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, the day before he was assassinated, he was speaking to sanitation workers who were just really facing uh, some difficult circumstances in the workplace, being treated unfairly. And he, he gives his commentary on the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it's essentially the story of 
uh, a man who gets robbed and beaten and left on the roadside to die. Two religious leaders walk by him and over him, but one stops, a man from Samaria who was unlikely to the hearers to be a person that they would even like or is actually despised. But the Good Samaritan stops. So Martin Luther King Jr. says this, he says, and so the first question that the priest asked, the first question that the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the Good Samaritan came by and he reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? So as Jesus demands us to be generous, we have got to have a heart posture of others first, not self first. And once again, we are made in God's image, yes. We're supposed to be like him, thus we are designed to be generous. I keep throwing that word out, generous, right? So you're probably like, oh man, what does that mean? Does that mean 10%, does that mean 20%, does that mean, does that really mean everything? How generous, what did Jesus give? How much? Jesus, this is our gospel conviction this morning. And I pray it would be encouraging. Jesus gave everything. He gave everything. Why did he give everything? It was the will of the Father. Jesus was walking in obedience when he gave up his life. That, again, is good news, right? So the obstacle is exposed, it's in front of us. Here's what you need to do to inherit eternal life. Stop worshiping the stuff, the money, and come follow me. Guess what? We can't do that on our own. But it is our responsibility, but we can't do it on our own. Jesus comes and he walks in perfect obedience for us to remove the obstacle, to walk in the spirit that we might be generous people who reflect God's image. That's good news, right? It's good news. So I wanna ask just two quick questions and give you like you uh, a few maybe seconds to even like just think rhetorically. But how has God been generous to you? How has God been generous to you? How you experience generosity through God's people? How have you experienced generosity through God's people? And these are open questions because the reality is you have been. God has been generous to you through his word and through his son. Psalm 90, verse 14. This is a psalm of Moses. So this is thousands of years old, even before Jesus. And the psalms, they span thousands of years. While they were recorded by one, they span a very long time frame in the Old Testament. But here's what it says. It says, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all your days. Satisfy us with your love every day. Is that something that we want? 
right? It, I think it is. I think God has made us to desire that and to want that. But we have trouble with it. How do we practice it? How can we practice daily satisfaction in the love of God? Obedience. And this is what Jesus is again telling us in this passage. And in one particular way is by trusting in the finished work of Jesus and his demand for us to be generous people. So how do we do this? How do we practice this, right? We're talking about giving, we're talking about being generous. Like I wanna walk through a few ways that we can begin to practice that, okay? I so badly wanted like the first practice to be like give bigly, but I didn't know if people would get like offended if I made like a political joke, so I decided not to put it in there. Even though I just said it out loud, which is kind of like saying it in the first place. So. Or make up new words like bigly, but I didn't. So the first, in Christ, we are to give regularly. And I didn't write this in the notes, but I want you, if you can, to write either on your physical notes or on there, to write of our financial resources. So we, in Christ, are to give regularly of our financial resources. So what does that mean? Well, what's your giving goal? Do you, do you have a giving goal? If not, you need to develop one. What does regular mean? Like for you or your family, it might mean once a week, it might mean once a month, who knows? Uh, what we don't want to do is just kind of just rest on our laurels, because that can happen very quickly, because we, we work, we have life, we have children, we have extra things going on, so life is always moving, so we wanna have a good plan. Even, uh, this is a confession, but uh, we just realized this morning, my wife and I, that we haven't given our monthly giving to Missio, because we, in the last uh, two months-ish, have sold and bought a new house and moved, and life has been a little bit cray-cray, and so we just kind of forgot. And so you gotta have a plan to even know if you do miss your giving of regular gifts. And so, yeah, what does that look like for your family to, to, to give regularly of your financial resources? Uh, another way that we should do this, in Christ, we are to give sacrificially. So sacrifice has a cost attached to it, right? That's what the word means. Like we are called to give sacrificially. I even wanna refer back to the, the little sweet letter that I got from, from Dorothy years ago. Like she took great time out to write a letter, handwritten letter at that, and if you have seen the writing, it's, it's chicken scratch because she has a hard time writing, but she did it anyways. That was a physical sacrifice for her. And then she gave us the only really extra money she had that month, sacrificially to our ministry. So we're to give sacrificially. I was talking to one of our global missions uh, church planning partners last week. He is planning a church in South Asia in one of the world's largest cities and uh, they work alongside an organization that I love uh, called the Aruna Project. And now they have, um, the Aruna Project has a separate uh, new place called Severa. Severa is an outreach center in the heart of the red light area where women can start to kind of come um, out of the brothel during the daytime and start to learn some new skills and trades and begin to hear people tell them that they're made in God's image, that they're valuable, uh, that God wants things for them and rather than being used and abused all day. And so to keep this place going, they actually, uh, they 
desperately need volunteers. They need people in there alongside these women. And uh, this church, they really wanted to come alongside them and do this, and so they had a call for volunteers. And already, like, we hear the word volunteer, right? And we're thinking, oh, that's, I, I volunteer, like, on my days off. I, I do this, I do that, and keep doing that. Do not stop doing that. But these folks, like, this, their volunteer comes with great sacrifice because at least once a month, these 22 folks will be taking a day of, off work without pay. Severa's not open on the weekends, and these folks work Monday through Friday jobs that will be taking time to volunteer. And that's just the reality of the culture that they're in as well, but that was part of the call, was like, we know that you're gonna have to take a day off of work to come and work with these women, to show them God's love and generosity, but we're gonna ask you to do it anyways. And so 22 folks said, yes, yes, I can do that. So that's one of another way that we are to give, to give sacrificially. And lastly, and in saying lastly, what I'm not saying is, this is one of the three you can choose. Like we're supposed to do all of these. Because God again is a generous God. We're made in his image, made to reflect him. And so we do all of these. So in Christ we are to give relationally. To give relationally of our financial resources. So what does that mean? Matthew 28, the Great Commission, go make disciples of all nations. So that make disciples piece has significant relational equity to it. So you're actually like involved. You know how to pray for these people. You might even know the person that you're, you're, you're giving this money to personally. Like there's the ability and function to actually be involved in the process. So then who's, who's around you then? Who's in your neighborhood? Maybe there's someone that is having like a super rough month at work. Maybe there's some illness going on in their family. And you know, just coming over and providing meals will probably go a really long way. So that's gonna require time and money. Who are people around you that are involved in other ministries? Who are doing good kingdom work? Some areas or people that you're passionate about? Who are the folks around you? So I wanna give even just a few examples. Now this list is not exhaustive to kind of our partnerships and all the things that our folks are involved with outside of these walls. But these are a few places, kind of just to get started. If you're not giving anywhere outside of Missio, we really want to encourage you to consider some of these folks. And if you want other ideas or to learn more about these, this list, you can ask me or some of the other pastors. So here are a few places, City Gospel Mission. And again, I won't, I won't work through what all these people do, but uh, Life Forward, the Aruna Project, our Missio Global Missions, Athletes in Action, Young Life. These are all places where above and beyond your giving, you can be generous to because they are doing good and great kingdom work. All right? So let's trust in the finished work of Jesus. He gave everything so that we might know him and in his grace he exposes the obstacle and says, come follow me. So let's trust him in that this morning. And let's, let's, let's be generous people, right? City of Cincinnati, like they need, to, they need to know who Jesus is. There is a great need. And we can begin doing that through demonstrating by giving. So I wanna pray and then lead us in a time of response. 
The band's gonna come up and continue leading us in singing the gospel. While they're coming up, I'll pray. And pray with me, please. Father, thank you for your everlasting, eternal generosity. Lord, you are good in every way and your grace is beyond my, our full comprehension. Being made in your image, made to reflect you, empower us to be generous with our financial resources, with your kingdom in mind, looking to you, King Jesus, as the author, perfecter of our faith, who gave everything. Help us believe every waking moment with every single breath that if we had nothing and still have you, that we would have everything. Amen.